LT Mentions podcast. Listen to Neil and Pip. We talk learning technology. Okay, what should we start with? Um, anything you like. Femedtech. Okay. As of 12th of August, I'll be one of the volunteer curators of FemEdTech, which is a network of EdTech practitioners who are explicitly interested in feminist approaches. Um, I first heard about it at the ALT assembly meeting that we both attended, and Marin Deepwell, the CEO of the ALT, mentioned it. And I think she had a FemEdTech bag, her jacket, and I asked her about it um, and then followed up and had a look at it and discovered that it's all run by groups of volunteer curators on Twitter who curate the content for a number of days um, and then hand over. So it's quite an interesting model. So it could be sharing content, academic approaches, ideas, thought, media. What would Twitter be without a good gift? So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so watch this space as of the 12th of August um, at FemEdTech is the, the Twitter handle. So yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, I remember we went to a women's podcast fest and obviously as a man, that possibly that might have felt a touch uncomfortable but it shouldn't because it's about everyone really isn't it and it was about the content what do you think yeah i mean i didn't feel uncomfortable at the festival i mean there was other men there i just thought i mentioned that yeah i mean <laughs> as i said it was for everybody yeah yeah, but it was promoted as a women's festival. But it did say yeah. we we welcome all people. Yeah. Uh, so I felt as though I was included. Yes. And I was sat when I did went to the event. The there was several men there, which was good. As a kind of but maybe being the only man, I would have maybe thought. Mm. But honest, I mean, there's not been. I don't feel uncomfortable when I'm the only man. Yeah, I mean the same. I don't particularly feel massively uncomfortable when I'm the only woman. But it was good that even though it was explicitly a women's event, that it was inclusive at the same time. I think that's quite important. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was to promote women's participation. So I think that's a good thing because it kind of gives examples of women who are kind of like doing podcasts as a kind of inspiration to other women to kind of do a, a similar thing, uh, which is really good because, I mean, there's loads of stuff that I wouldn't be aware of as a, as a sort of a podcast listener. We went to different workshops on the actual day, didn't mm. we? Um, and they, that would be relevant to everybody in the room, independent of gender. And actually, I accidentally went to the wrong workshop, as I told you. I went to exploring audio drama, which I didn't think would be relevant. And in a way, it wasn't at the time until I realised some of the stuff that she was talking about, which I followed up on. There's um, some fantastic podcasts, for example, within The Wire, played excerpts from the tutor I really got into. And then there's enough audio drama that I shared the other day kind of came from that. So um, all in all, I think it was a really positive experience in general and something I can perhaps reflect on using the, the opportunity to curate content for the week after. Yeah, so what what are you doing then? What's, what are you actually doing for FemEdTech? Well, I've made a plan about sort of content for each day, about the ideas that I want to focus on, and then how I'm going to enhance it with some media. So watch this space. So is that on Twitter? Like, are you curating the Twitter feed? Yeah. So you're actually posting, you're going to be responsible for posting content? Absolutely, yeah. So you're trying to create awareness around women in tech and just promoting what people are doing, sharing stuff. So you're trying to sort of stuff and bring attention to it? Yeah. So like a key idea or an article or something interesting, that's essentially what you've just described, is it? Uh, so where can people find out about this uh, tech? It's all on Twitter, Twitter handle at FemedTech. You don't have to be on Twitter or have a Twitter account to access the content. You can just look it up on a browser and that's how you access it. Yeah, I mean, there's some really interesting posts on there, stuff that you might not necessarily think of is trying to put yourself into that perception, if you like. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really good, good feed. It's an interesting opportunity and I think there's still 
lots of work to be done there. Nice one. All right. What are we doing next? What are we, what are we chatting about next? Something about students as producers. Ah, well, it's not quite producers. It's more like working with students, I suppose. We've employed an intern in the library to produce a marketing video. And the idea was to ask the student to do the video and to present the library in a fun and engaging way for new students who might not necessarily use us. So we've got a lot of non-users who think, oh, the library's just books. What do I need to use the library for? So like the idea is to get their attention in an induction setting and make the video memorable and promote like the sort of wealth of services that we've got, if you like. Uh, so I'd kind of just wanted to talk really about working with students because we often think in terms of like a sort of power relationship, if you like, that we're the kind of the educators and we like almost what's the word for it? We're sort of getting the students to do what they kind of need to do. That We're there to sort of like educate them. So we're in a sort of like a relationship that we're kind of overseeing what they're doing. So they look up to us, if you like. If you employ a student and you're like getting them to create something for you, uh, or maybe you mentioned about students as producers or even in the curriculum and you want them to get in, them involved in their own learning, you have to sort of take a different uh, stand if you like a different mindset and you have to put yourself in their position uh, and you have to have an element of trust, I suppose. Uh, and you have to sort of just sort of like let them do what they need to do. I just wanted to talk about that a bit. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think everyone that's working in a kind of learning facing capacity, we're all aiming towards the same goal. So it doesn't matter if we work in a library. There's no need for academic tribes. We're all there to support the students. And I think that's a great idea and an opportunity to, for an intern to get really into that and create a video output. So yeah, bring it on. Mm, yeah, I like that. Because yeah, like it's, uh, people might identify with a certain, you mentioned tribes, so there's a word there. So yeah, like if you're a student and you're studying a course, you identify yourself as a student and you're like receiving the information, if you like. So that's your tribe. So like if you have suddenly like turned on its head and you're producing your own learning, that's quite a big shift, a cultural shift. This student that we've got is, is employed. So that is a kind of, an easy relationship to manifest that if you're educating if your education position uh, it must be a bit harder to do that our students employed so it's a bit a bit different so between like a volunteer and a paid opportunity does do you think that changes the dynamic i don't know i think it depends on a, it's a good question i mean it has to depend on the student because a student might still be even in an employer relationship like getting paid and you're like in a job and you kind of you might still have that you might be in that mindset that you want your employer to tell you what to do and to do things. So it's, it's just about, I think, uh, if you're proactive, I think it doesn't really matter what situation you're in. If you've yes. got a proactive approach, then that is, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're an employer or a student, you've got a proactive approach, you can still influence your own situation. You have sort of control over what you, you do, if you like, yes. to make the most contribution. Yeah, I think you're right. It's an acid test, really, is genuinely interested in something or passionate about getting something delivered or doing something. Then it kind of goes beyond the sort of categories of employment. Yeah, and, hmm. and I quite like the about the cultural shift as well, and whether students are actually aware of that uh, kind of learning identities and the way traditional learning identities are being changed, even before our eyes, without us realising. Hmm. So you th kind of think that possibly, yeah, students might be not aware of these opportunities. I think, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but they've got more opportunities now than ever, like to create stuff, like with social media. Um, yes. But whether whether they think of themselves in that whether they think of that as their own or whether they could think they could use that in education, whether they think that that's appropriate. I think I came across one of those classic e-learning books by Sharma and Barrett. And one of the, the quotes that, I, that really stuck with me was, um, 
sometimes you can get uh, the worst of both worlds if you assume that students want to use the technology they use in like social media situations in learning situations it's a kind of an assumption we make that they want to do that and it's good and you can end up with the worst of both worlds as opposed to the best of both worlds which we kind of prefer if we don't make it clear we don't give them an opportunity to involve them in their learning decisions some things we can't change a lecturer can't change but if students had more of a voice or what if there was a really creative assessment where students could decide how they want to be assessed like there's some universities where they have more of a say they exercise their voice in a really meaningful capacity to have more of a say in the curriculum i think so their learning identities are completely shifted there's a huge culture change in the pedagogy there yeah yeah they've got a more of a choice that can that must be able to suit their learning style if they've got their self-awareness to to be able to make a, a choice that's appropriate to them so it's it's almost going beyond students as producers it's almost like students as curators mm. it's quite empowering i think it would be interesting to go over there and experience what it's like to be a student yeah do you think students are mature enough to be able to take that approach well i think it's um obviously there's a great variety of, of students you know it's not a one-size-fits-all so some people that would be a fantastic opportunity and for some other students it might not be the right thing at that time but i don't really know if it's possible to answer that question but it might not be right for everybody but mm. it certainly um would be very exciting if i was you know mm. so i guess it's the job of the universities and kind of cultural workers to sort of use what Paolo Friere used to call teachers essentially or educators it's up to them to kind of tease out whether and work with students to find out what's right for them yeah they're like acting as sort of facilitators if you like yeah definitely cultural facilitators <laughs> there you go yeah no, that's a, certainly a dynamic viewpoint um yeah, i like that i mean it's quite interesting because with this intern that we've got it's trying to kind of like they've used the library but it's like almost that you mentioned that facilitator thing because like we're trying to get this video to cover all students not not just their own perception of what the library is so it's kind of like sort of guiding their perception of it if you like to kind of widen their, their thoughts on what the library is to kind of get that video that is appropriate to the audience um, yeah so yeah it's uh yeah it's a totally different approach isn't it than just telling the students what to do yeah i don't i don't think that'll ever work telling simply just telling somebody something never works does it because it's it's one way it's linear speaking of the dynamic viewpoint it's not not necessarily learn telling isn't learning involving is learning or can be yeah i just wanted to talk a little bit about alan turing well in 2016 i visited bletchley park it's in london well just outside and um the um i don't know if you know much about it the former top secret home of world war ii code um yeah. it's set in lovely ground the structure of it is in different huts and they'd reconstructed some of the huts and one where alan turing was supposed to have sat and I, I sat at the desk and obviously his work was really important the, the afternoon tea in bletchley park was very nice as well and looking at the the different machines the enigma machine some of his school reports were made available one of the quotes was on his uh, progress in maths and science was his work is still stopped from taking the, um, the equivalent of the gcse which is hilarious because you would think that somebody so gift wouldn't be let down by our education system and obviously he was put, let down in a huge way later on when he was obviously convicted of um, 
homosexuality, which was then illegal until 1967. And then it was great to see him celebrated on the £50 note and the Royal Pardon in 2013. The Alan Turing Institute in London is absolutely fantastic. They offer um, scholarships and they have a lot of guest speakers. I think there's a lot of stuff about AI that's credited to Alan Turing, the famous Turing tests. The great quote that I got from him, um, we can only see a short distance ahead, but we can see plenty there that needs to be done. And I think that could be easily applied to learning technology. Don't you agree? Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it could be... Uh... That's applied to life, a good philosophy of life. I could put that on my car sticker, window sticker, yeah. definitely. We go on and on about Alan Turing, but it's very interesting. So the Alan Turing suit, they have a really interesting event on artificial intelligence to advance well-being and society next month, which I think is really interesting. And I do like the fact that they offer sort of studentships. I think that's a great way of getting people involved in coding and talking about AI and his history and his legacy. Mm. Well done, Alan Turing. Yeah. I mean, it's just Long such a shame that like everything since he's died, basically, is uh, like that's his impact. There was no impact in his lifetime. He didn't see any societal yeah, impact in terms of, apart from his, it was all secret. Yeah, and it's just such a kind of, you know, like, did he feel appreciated working within like, the University of Manchester and stuff like that? Mm. and academic research he obviously knew that he had that impact but in terms of promotion of that getting it out there there was nothing so it's just uh, his impact 60 70 years after his death still felt that kind of shows that he is appreciated now which goes to show us the extent of his uh, influence if you like absolutely um it was tragic what happened to him and allegedly and obviously things have moved on both technologically with the stuff that he's been working on and in society in general since then massively but again as he said there's plenty of work that still needs to be done if he'd lived another 20 30 years exactly and I think the sort of the work that he was doing was stopped as a result of his conviction. So that that's tragic. Yeah, it was quite interesting with the pardon, you know, because originally the kind of when they did the petition originally um, and they said, oh, because he kind of knew what he was doing, they originally didn't grant the pardon. They acknowledged the petition, Gordon Brown originally, but it didn't give the pardon originally. So it's quite interesting. But. Like you said, it's it shouldn't be such a tragic thing because it shouldn't be that a crime. Do you know what I mean? Um, at that Absolutely time. not. I think there's a Dr. Andrew Hodges in a BBC article said he was very much a victim of mid 20th century attitudes to homosexuality, which is deeply tragic. To use something like that against him was a terrible crime. Hmm. Um, it's it's possible to separate out those issues and not use one to negate the progress in another yes